This film is lit. The podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. movie that will help you figure out which of your friends are secretly fascists it's starship troopers and this film is lit hello and welcome back to this film is lit the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books if you're here for the summer series come back in two weeks but we encourage you to stay for this episode it's going to be a fascinating one we're discussing Robert Heinlein's novel, Starship Troopers, and Paul Verhoeven's adaptation of said novel, Starship Troopers. Uh, if we get, if you missed it on the prequel episode and you want to watch this, if you're in America, you can check it out on Netflix. You can co- go watch it and come back. Most people, most, a lot of people have Netflix. Uh, so this one's pretty easy to watch. If you haven't seen it in a while, go check it out. Um, if not, you don't have to. We're going to give a little brief synopsis in our first segment. Let me sum up. Let me explain. There is too much. Let me sum up. We don't have guess who this week, so we're just going to get right to let me sum up. We're going to do two separate summations. Sometimes we were able to get away with one. Uh, this one, it sounds like maybe a little too far different. Um, so Katie's going to give her synopsis of the novel, and then I'm going to give a quick one for the film, and then we'll get to the meat and bones of the episode. Katie, Starship Troopers, the novel. Starship Troopers by Robert A. Heinlein follows Johnny Rico as he decides to join the mobile infantry. What starts out as a decision seemingly made on a whim brings about events that fundamentally change him. He survives boot camp, is spurred forward by his mother dying due to enemy actions, he decides to go career and struggles through officer candidate school, and eventually takes part in an important mission that could turn the tide of the bug war. It's actually not that different. The high points are (laughs) similar. Everything else is different. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll get into the actual big differences. I don't think I would actually change that too much. I'll I'll, I'll just add a little addendum. I won't do a whole spiel. Um, I'll add an addendum. Uh, Everything you said, basically, but also uh, we're following a few other characters. One, uh, Carmen, played by Denise Richards, uh, who wants to be a pilot. She is the girlfriend of Johnny Rico at the beginning of the story as they're graduating from the equivalent of high school, it would seem. Seems like it. uh, In the movie. Um, And she ships out to go join the fleet, which is like their navy, essentially. And Johnny Rico uh, decides to enlist against his parents' wishes to join the mobile infantry, um, along with their other friend, uh, who I cannot remember his name, um, Doogie Hauser, Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, His name was Carl. Carl. Uh, and he gets assigned to, like, intelligence, basically. Um, and we kind of, we don't really follow Neil Patrick Harris as much. He kind of shows up at the again at the end of the movie. Uh, we see him a couple times. But uh, it's Carmen's story of becoming a fleet, uh, a pilot for the, the fleet. And Johnny Rico's going through boot camp. 
uh, and becoming an infantry soldier and his experiences with battle, uh, his decision he, uh, he to, uh, to potentially leave ultimately after a, a big accident during training um, results in a, one of his team members dying and he, he's going to leave potentially decides not to, because at that moment uh, they go to war, like as he's getting ready to leave. Um, so he ships out to war, a bunch of crazy stuff happens. He ends up on different getting promoted a bunch and, and on different squads and platoons and everything. Uh, it culminates with our heroes uh, being involved in a mission that helps capture the a brain bug, as they call it, which is they think one of these uh, aliens that is like the planner, like the intelligence side mm-hmm. of things. And uh, the movie ends on sort of a what the movie in universe is a happy ending, quote unquote, of them getting this victory and being able to potentially understand the aliens and thus defeat them. Uh, and the war rages ever on. So uh, that's roughly it. Oh, uh, and, and there's other characters along the way. Johnny Rico's gets broken up with by Denise Richards at one point because she wants to go to career. He then his friend for other friend, this other girl, unrequited love interest, Dizzy from their high school, who's been in love with them the whole time. They end eventually hook up uh, because they're both in infantry together. She ultimately dies. Um, and, and then he kind of reunites slightly with. Yeah. With Carmen, Denise were kind of, but then they, you know, are doing their own thing again at the end. So that's roughly the plot of Starship Troopers. We're going to get into some of the details, though, in our first segment. Is that in the book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? So a uh, movie opens up on a, we discussed this in the prequel episode, but it opens up on a a propaganda video discussing the war effort. Well, it actually opens up with a flash forward. Yeah. Which is included with this propaganda reel um, about the war effort and all that sort of thing. And uh, we get, we actually see the battle that uh, Johnny Rico gets wounded in at one point. um, And then we flash back a year from there and then follow lead up to that point and go past it ultimately. But one of the things in this propaganda reel, which we mentioned in the prequel episode, was many parts of it were copied shot for shot uh, uh, from uh, 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 something of the wills. Uh, what should we call it? Um, the, the, it was a Nazi propaganda video. Um, mm-hmm. Something of the wills. I don't remember. I can't remember what it's called. It doesn't matter. Something of the yeah. wills or uh, it was in the prequel episode. You can go listen to it. Uh, but it's a, a Nazi propaganda movie that they copied a lot of shots in this from. One of the things that this PA, that this propaganda commercial piece mentions is that bugs are the bugs are hurling asteroids at Earth uh, to bombard Earth with meteors, basically, mm-hmm. uh, and that's why they have to go fight the bugs in the first place. Like they don't even know they're. I mean, they're just out there. Um, it's one of the main reasons that they have to go fight them, and it's what ultimately spurs the big battles that we see. Is that they send, according to the movie, they send a big meteor that destroys Buenos Aires. Is that an aspect of the what's going on in the book? Um, and is it similarly to me? And now this, some people may not agree with this and because there's never confirmed. I was actually thinking it had been so long since I've seen this movie. I couldn't, I only remembered like flashes of like the action scenes and stuff. I wasn't, I couldn't remember if they were ever going to confirm this or not, but the way I read the meteor's, bombarding earth thing was that that actually wasn't a result of the bugs that that's a lie Mm -hmm. that the government is using as a means to propagate 
this war effort continuously um, for reasons that we never get into. And we'll talk a lot about about sort of what that all is going for in terms of the the symbolism and like the thematically. But uh, did was that element of the meteors being hitting Earth being uh, an attack by the bugs something out of the book? Um, I don't recall any mention of this in the book. If there is a mention of it, it was not an element that was like made a big deal out okay. of because I don't recall. And that. It's, so it's clearly not an asteroid that destroys no a city no. that leads to a big the big inciting incident for like the second act or third right. act or whatever. Um, Buenos Aires does get destroyed okay. in the book and it is because of the bugs or so we're told, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it's not like an asteroid. Interesting. Hit. So it would have to seem seemingly. Well, I guess maybe we don't ever get the specific details of how Buenos Aires is destroyed. They just we find out here that it is. And well, they say it gets wiped off the map um, and it's due to like the bugs attacking. OK. OK, so we OK, it's interesting. And this could be a change. And we'll talk about that because that could be a distinct of a, a very intentional change by Paul Verhoeven in the book, in the movie to make it something that is potentially has a natural explanation. Right. Yeah. So my thought. So what I thought this was all going to be with the meteors thing is that we were going to maybe find out that this was the result of something that the humans were doing. I and I think this is a would be a way to do it. I think the movie, the way the movie just doesn't explain it also works as but what i was expecting was that we were going to find out later somehow that this was because of some sort of uh capitalistic exploitation of natural resources out in the asteroid belt they're trying to mine asteroids or something and mm -hmm. that was resulting in these meteors being ejected from orbit and hitting earth would kind of make sense and yeah. it's actually like the human's fault and not the bugs now, they, they say in the movie that it's the bugs are using plasma beams or something to push the asteroids towards Earth. Mm -hmm. And that's possible because we do find out that the bugs are intelligent to some extent. And we do know they can shoot stuff into space to some extent. We do see them later in the movie. Um, they have these giant bugs that shoot like energy or whatever. Yeah. We don't know what it is. Some sort of big blue beams out of their butts into space. Um <laughs> And they, they're using those as like uh, like anti-aircraft defense, basically, when when the the infantry shows up to attack their planet, uh, Klandathu or whatever. But we don't ever actually see specifically the bugs actually like shooting meteors towards Earth. So it's never confirmed that that's actually happening in the movie. And I would I would read it again, knowing what we know about the ideas in the movie that this being a um, a satire of a fascistic regime and a fascistic society and 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 a big call out on propaganda and sort of militarized societies and this ever need this ever uh never ending need for conflict and war that that breeds My, to me it seems very reasonable to read these meteors hitting earth as an excuse that this regime is using to go spur people to fight which is something we've seen mm -hmm. used throughout history as is inventing this threat to your you know your homeland yeah. Um, the Lusitania. Yeah. Who sunk the main. Right. Um, inventing this threat to your on. homeland uh, in order to to fuel the war effort and keep up the morale or whatever. Or not the morale, but the right. desire for, for war and that sort of thing. Um, so it's interesting because you could see, because we, one of the things we talked about a lot in the prequel is that um, the book is less 
obvious about whether or not, and the movie's not super obvious, which is one of the things I want to talk mm -hmm. about. It is, but it's also not. Yeah. Um, about what its point of view is and what it's commenting on and, and what whether or not it thinks like the society we should like it or not. But apparently the book is much less ob like it's it's much more you could easily read the book and be like, yeah, this is a good society, potentially. Like, Yeah, I think you could. Yeah, Or, or that Robert yeah. Heinlein thinks this is a good society, yeah, whether or not you, you do. Get that right on it as well. Right. Um, <laughs> whereas I think watching the movie, ultimately you do come out thinking that Paul Verhoeven probably does not think this is a good society, but it's a little complicated and we'll talk about that mm -hmm. later. So that's interesting. So that to me, that that's a change that makes perfect sense if you're trying to take a potentially fascistic supporting book right. and change it to something critiquing that society yeah. to make the threat um, not actually a threat that is the thing you're fighting. You know what I mean? Make mm -hmm. it a manufactured threat makes perfect sense yeah. or potentially manufactured yes. threat. All right. Neil Patrick Harris is psychic in the movie. Uh, Doogie Hauser can read minds uh -huh. <laughs> uh, and he can also influence animals to do things. They, they say like he can't do it to humans yet, but he can like he, he has a ferret. He has a pet ferret that he can like look at and tell it to do things and the ferret will do those things. Um, is that an element of the books? Are there psychic people or um, telepathic or whatever? I'm going to say the right word. Yeah. Unclear. OK. <laughs> uh, there exists in the universe of the book genetically engineered dogs that can talk mm -hmm. and that seem to have like possibly a psychic connection to their handlers interesting possible or, or at least like a, some kind of deep connection with them yeah um there are also several mentions of hypnosis throughout okay. the book uh, there aren't any scenes like the one in the movie with like where he's got like the headset and there's the and pair like of cards. Yeah. Cards or like guessing what card is up on the screen yeah. behind him. Um, although the line in the movie about like not being able to can't do humans. Yeah, yet. he says because he says when he tells the when he when he, when he influences the ferret to go do something, yeah. uh, Rico says to Neil Patrick Harris. I uh, hope you don't do that to me. And Neil Patrick Harris says, I can't do, we can't do humans yet or something like that. That line felt kind of familiar to me, but I'm not, but you couldn't find it. I couldn't like, find it. Yeah. Okay. So, so if somebody who's more familiar, like has read it a couple times or something, might, yeah, and, might if you remember that one out and know, uh, or have, you know, um, that's another thing is that obviously with all these books, we're re reading it for the first time. So there's details that, yeah. you know, go missed. And in this one in particular, we'll discuss, um, was a bit harder it was a bit for you than some of the other. Right? Yeah, a bit more challenging than some of the other ones. In terms and I have, of holding I have your a interest. lot of notes, but it's hard to tell sometimes when you also haven't seen the movie. Right. What's, what's going to be important and yeah. what's going to be like relevant. Yeah. And you can't make a note of every single thing. Yeah. And that is one of those things where it's, you know, it's it's it, it, it's a different episodes of our show are interesting in different ways. Like, I, yeah. I think going into a book, reading the first time and then seeing the movie for the first time has its own interesting sort of spin versus like our episodes with like Harry Potter and stuff where we know every single detail right. and that sort of thing. They each have their own different, you know, yeah. sort and of plus bonuses. Too, and, and we get ones here and there where I've seen the movie, but maybe I've never read the book. Right. Didn't know it was based on a book or and whatever. And so you know a little bit about what yeah. to kind of look for when you're reading it. Yeah. And, and that's just kind of the nature of the show. But um, but yeah, if you're somebody who's very familiar with the book and you're like, no, it's, it's there. That, you know, it's in the book. Sorry. <laughs> Let us know. Let us know. Comment. Uh, follow us on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads. Is there future football 
There's a scene in the movie where they're playing, again, they're like in high school. They're about to graduate from the equivalent of like high school, it would seem. Because mm-hmm. um, they're going to, they're talking about going to, some of them are talking about going to colleges and other ones are, you know, enlisting in the, the military and that sort of thing. Uh, and they're playing their like indoor arena yeah. football American feature space. Football. American football. Yeah, sorry. Uh, American football. Um, or a very sim- a version of it. It looks a lot like arena yeah. football. It's like a similar number of people in a similar sized field to like arena football. There's actually nothing really particularly spacey about it. In fact, it's actually just yeah. basically arena football. It just looks kind of weird because it's inside. Yeah, it's inside, <laughs> and it's and and they're co- they're, they're not costumes. They're uniforms. Uh, uniforms are a little you know vaguely futury. They look <laughs> cheap and cheap. They look like a bad like. Uh, a bad arena football team <laughs> uniform. So, um, but is there is there whatever that's called? I don't even remember what they call it. I think they might just call it football. I don't know. Uh, is that in the movie or in the book? No mention of future football. Okay, uh, because that's where we're kind of introduced, set up some of the relationship between Johnny Rico and Dizzy. Is it Dizzy, right? Is that what they call it? Diz? He calls her Diz. Yeah, he Dizzy, calls her Diz. Yeah. Curly haired girl. Yeah. Uh, and their relationship, his unrequited love in the movie, or she, he's her unrequited love. And she's like the quarterback and stuff. But they, 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 they have a recurring thing where they like talk about football together and mm-hmm. like he do plays and even on the battlefield and stuff. Uh, but none of that, none of that comes from the book. So this is an element of the movie that um, is touched upon briefly in the beginning. And, and it's kind of a recurring theme. Uh, a discussion of being a citizen versus a civilian. Mm -hmm. And so obviously in current day in America, uh, uh, if you're in the military, there are people that aren't in the military are referred to often as civilians, as opposed Mm -hmm. to, you know, being a a soldier, whatever. Yeah. Soldier or veteran, veteran or or service person or whatever. And, but in, in this universe, in the movie, uh, there are citizens when you're joined, whatever yeah. branch of the military yeah, you and then there's you uh, do service to get your citizenship yeah uh and then there's uh civilians and in this universe the civilians cannot vote it would seem mm-hmm. um and the the citizens can i um, mean i believe i remember somebody commenting that joining the military isn't the only way potentially to become a citizen but we can talk about that uh is that an element in the book that yes it distinction is. and yeah uh, that yeah, that's all from the book. Um, you have to be a citizen to vote, hold office, gotcha. um, any of that kind of stuff, and you get your citizenship by doing that, like public service. Yeah, and and I remember saying, I remember I only mentioned I thought somebody commented on one of these posts somewhere about how it wasn't potentially only like military service that there was other like types of public like service that would also grant you citizenship. But I could be wrong. Right. Well, the vibe I got, and I could be, have, I totally I could <laughs> be reading this wrong, um, was that, like, there's a lot of different jobs, but it's still considered, like, public service. Yeah. Like, you do your two years, mm-hmm. but you could, like, request to go into, like, more of, like, a office job or like a desk job kind of a thing which that does seem like that is part of the uh, a certain aspect of it because like so so you don't necessarily have to like go and fight yeah and that is i mean and there are countries i mean there are countries currently that i would not um (laughs) 
that I would not describe as fascist countries that do similar things. There are like Nordic countries, I believe, where you have there, to... There are countries... Are you talking about like... I, I believe like Norway or... Fin- some of those like uh, part of the... I, I don't know. For, I know like Israel does, but there are other ones that I believe... And boy, like I'm talking serv- out of my ass. To do some service. sort of mandatory service. Yeah, there as, are countries that do although, mandatory service. To be fair, it's also not tied to. But I don't know how it works. I don't but know I don't, how it works. Yeah, I don't know if any of them tie it to like, like voting or like holding office, holding rights. True, but I also don't know what the penalty is if you don't do them. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I don't know. Like if you don't, do you lose? I don't know. I I, I, I should have looked that up, but it is different. Yes, country to country. Again, and I would not describe <laughs> again from my understanding of. I think it's it's there's some Norwegian country I swear that has some sort of like mandatory one year or two year yeah. service in like the I National Guard or something. I want to say there's um like uh, a Caribbean. Country. May, yes, I'm well. sure there are. I'm and sure there are. We're both talking out of our ass. I'm just, <laughs> it was like just something I remembering things. Yeah, it was just something that jumped to my mind. But yes, there um, are there are countries that have. And like again, a lot there are, there are also countries that I would not describe as fascist regimes, yes. obviously. Um, so it, it's it's a little muddier than maybe uh, the movie makes it out. Well, the version in the movie is different. But uh, again, because like you said, if you don't do it. You just don't have a say in right. the government or anything like that. And then the movie, I think, takes it even a little, like, a step further that there's one girl who mentioned that she wants to have kids. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's easy, she says it's easier to get a license, yeah, you have to get if, a license you, to have kids. if you do your two years, right. which is not anything that's ever mentioned in the book. Yeah. That you have to, like, have a license to have. I mean, maybe that is part of this world. I don't know. Right, but it's... But a, it's not mentioned. It's also one of those details that feels like an absolutely logical extension from what we know of the universe. I mean, if the right to vote and that sort of thing mm-hmm. is tied to that sort of service, the idea of... And again, potentially, you know, it, this far in the future, maybe overpopulation is a, right. a, a problem and there's some, you know, so you can definitely see that even if that's not from the book, that that would be a very reasonable sort of expansion, you know, little detail expansion from the universe, having to get some sort of license to, to, yeah. to procreate, yeah. basically. And it does also tend to be a hallmark of fascist right. nations to only want certain yes. parts of the of the yeah. society yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's also absolutely a very um not only is it reasonable because of other of, of potentially like rational reasons in terms of like op- overpopulation and stuff, but it's also like you said, uh in a fascistic regime like this, a, uh, a, f- a fascist government, um eugenics tend to go hand in hand mm-hmm. with that sort of thing. And so some sort of eugenic program, even though maybe it's not called that, maybe it's sort of, you know, dog whistle. That it's like, oh, you, you, you know, you have to earn your right to have children, that sort yeah. of thing. And then it turns out only the people that get to earn the right to have children are like whatever their perfect idea of a yeah. of a citizen is and that sort of thing. So it very easily morphs into, yeah, a uh, very problematic uh, eugenics, eugenicist society. It's the wrong way to say that, but okay. There's a fun, or fun. There's a gag in the movie where, uh, as they're going, they're get, they're getting their, uh, they they've all signed up to join the military. Um, our three, I say three main characters: uh, Rico, Carmen, and uh, Carl. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and they're going up to like get their assignment for where they're going, and they're talking to a guy like at the at the desk, like who's mm-hmm. giving them their paperwork or whatever. And he has a metal hand that we see right away. <clears throat> 
But at the end, uh, he after the other two get their assignments, he's talking to Rico, and Rico says, I'm mobile infantry, and he gives him his paperwork or whatever, and he says, ah, mobile infantry, mobile infantry made me the man I am today, and he pushes back from the desk, and he not only does he is he missing an arm, he doesn't have either of his legs, which it is funny to me, I say funny, it's 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 it is it's funny to me that they have and this is I'm sure intentional that they have these like super advanced robotic mm-hmm. like uh, arms, but they just they their legs they just don't have they don't have <laughs> they don't have synthetic legs of any sort <laughs> they just have stumps but they but they have synthetic arms potentially I don't know I thought that was interesting mm-hmm. but this guy so this guy's literally given an arm and two legs um, for his citizenship basically. Uh, and it's, a, it's, it's, you know, uh, a striking reveal. Is that anything like that happened in the book? Um, there's something similar-ish in the book. When they go to sign up, he's like the recruiter at the desk. And when we first meet him, yes, you see that he's missing an arm and both of his legs. Ah. Similar to how it is in the movie. Later on, after Rico has received his assignment to go into mobile infantry, he sees him again, and this time he has all of his prosthetics on. Mm-hmm. He, they have leg oh, they prosthetics, do have leg prosthetics in the prosthetics. book, yes. Yeah, because we don't <laughs> see any in the movie from my memory. Yeah. We see arm ones, but never leg ones. Um, and he does say something similar to Rico. He says, my outfit, shake, son, we'll make a man of you or kill you trying, maybe both. There you go. Um, and that is a recurring thing in the movie, too. There's quite a few characters who are missing limbs or that sort of mm-hmm. thing or have, uh, you know, major injuries that they suffered at the hand or as a result of being, you know, trying to earn their citizenship. Another uh, aspect that pops up um, that we see a lot in the movie is that, you know, every two or three times uh, we get these. We get the uh, would you like to know more? The We see their like state TV, basically, mm-hmm. uh, one would assume. Um, where it plays like different like propaganda videos or like recruitment videos or sort of like a like your wartime reel type of thing where it's like, oh, well, scientists are testing this, blah, 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 that sort of thing. Uh, and one of them is they're talking about this uh, person who was a deserter or I, they don't ever go. I don't know if they go specifically into details of what this guy did, but he's going to be executed as like a traitor or something like that. And uh, after they talk about the trial and stuff and then and that he's was ruled uh guilty there's a uh the (laughs) the the end slate comes up and says you can watch the execution live at 6 p.m or whatever that night and so they they broadcast state executions is that something that happens in in the book um it's mentioned that there are public lashings which is also mentioned briefly in the movie his dad says like yeah I'd rather get 10 lashes in square or something yeah. like that. Which and we has, see yeah. in the military, but it also is like, just sounds like potentially yes. civilians. Also. Civilians also, it yeah. sounds like. Uh, so it's mentioned that there are public lashings. The death penalty also comes up within the book and it's very clearly a thing that exists in this world. Um, but it's not mentioned that executions are aired on TV. Okay. Um, because yeah, that's, <clears throat> I'm personally just completely opposed to the death penalty period but um explicitly the the state sponsored public executions is a very strange and horrifying concept to me uh and it and it felt like something though that robert heinlein would be not only that i could see somebody who who has sort of vaguely um sympathies for sort of a more uh 
totalitarian type mm-hmm. of government could could see as a good thing, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and it's very clearly satirical in the movie because, again, the way it's the, the pacing of it and how it's announced, it's very clearly intended to be like, whoa, like kind of it's supposed to make you chuckle and go and, and take you back and go, oh, God. Um, but I could see somebody doing that uh, completely straight faced as like, yeah. yeah, this is part of this universe and it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are plenty of people in America who feel that way and it's horrifying to me. But what yeah, it is what it is. Uh, speaking of this state TV that we're able to tune into over several times throughout the course of the movie, there's the recurring, and people have been commenting this on a lot of our social media this week, uh, there's this recurring question of, would you like to know more? Uh, mm-hmm. That they ask at the end of all of these little yeah. propaganda pieces they play. Um, and I assume there's some way to like click and, I don't mm-hmm. know, you know. But it is also one of those things that feels very because it's repeated over and over again, that repeated programming, this, it, it, it has the feel of a totalitarian regime, like that state run TV. Mm-hmm. Like we have this weird, it's not even a slogan. Like it's not like, cause you know, it, it, it's, it's there, there are slogans in the movie that like the military and have stuff, you know, like uh, the only good bug is a dead bug. So that's like, mm-hmm. and, and, and we only see one guy say that, but that would be like a slogan. And so, like, you could see them repeating that as, like, a as like a propaganda thing. But something about the would you like to know more and the way that the announcer says it feels yeah. very haunting. <laughs> I read it as um, a false indication that they can't know more. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, Because, I mean, you have this offer over and over. Would you like to know more? Would you like to know more? But we never but it, do. But it's all, well, we never do, and it's all state-run TV, so... Right. What yes. are you actually knowing? It, it does feel like this false promise, uh, that uh, this illusion of um, transparency, yes, basically, exactly. that the that the state run TV is is giving off. Uh, but it's all a facade like there's they're not they're going to tell you what they want you to know. Yeah. Uh, and that is. Yes. And and again, the way that sort of soothing. Would you like to know more? The way it's said is all is haunting and very, um, very intentionally done. And uh is that from the book? That was my getting back to my actual question. <laughs> it's not. Okay. When you like to know more is a movie ad. Which would make sense too, because that would ring as something that is calling out and sort of putting on as sort of a, a beacon calling out the very obvious, like we said, well, we discussed the fact that this is a a facade of transparency mm-hmm. and that it is this totalitarian regime that's pretending that you have this ability to know more and and that that it's up to you and that sort of thing um and that repeated question uh if you're if you're doing that in your book would it sort of maybe start make the the reader start the question like it does in the movie whether or not (laughs) the the intentions of said government whereas if you're not trying to satirize a fascist government you might not put that in there potentially so so uh, we're getting to it now. The infamous shower scene. It's way less nudity than I remembered or thought was in it. Um, n- not that there isn't a fair amount, but it's not as, I don't know. For In my head, I, again, I probably saw this movie in high school or something. In my head, there was a lot more naked people and like for more time on screen. But still, it's it, there's, you know, there's 20 people standing in a shower room. They're all showering and talking. Um, and it's... Uh, it's a it's a well-known scene and we talked about in the prequel episode about uh how the in order for the director or in order for the actors and actresses to shoot it they asked 
the director and the DP to also be naked, and they agreed to it. So there's a whole bunch of people naked in that room shooting that <laughs> scene. Uh, is that is there any sort of shower scene in the book? I just want to know if there's any inspiration for that scene from the book. People would want to know, obviously. I feel like I'm my, I have my guess, but... No. No. Okay. <laughs> That's kind of what I figured. <laughs> I just didn't know if it was ever mentioned, you know, like a a big group shower or something like that that they pulled that from. No. Um, and there are... And I, I mean, it was a question that I had while I was reading this that never got answered. Um, the unit, and like as as Rico is going through like all of his training and like the unit that he ends up in, it's all male. Oh, okay. so like I had the question as I was going through. I was like, okay, well, are there women in the mobile infantry? Right. Because we know there are women in like other branches yeah, in of the, the fleet military. Or, whatever they call it, yeah. or is that like all men? Or is this just like? specifically all men squad or squad or so but or that, maybe they're segregated like that or question something. was never really answered if there were women in the mobile infantry or not there are in the movie in yeah. the book it seems we don't know but it seems it like it seems like not okay uh, during that shower scene we find out and 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 i'm not i guess i'm asking about the specific kid but i'm less so asking about the specific kid and more so um if this is a thing that because this felt like a very poignant and sort of call out of current day culture by mm-hmm. Paul Verhoeven as opposed to, uh, which there are tons of in the movie, um, as opposed to like this super advanced fascist, crazy totalitarian government. He's trying to draw some parallels here to our current modern day sort of, uh, political, uh, environment. There's a kid who got into Harvard, got accepted to Harvard, who's, but it joined the mobile infantry because he can't afford it. And, or because his dad said, we're not gonna be able to afford it. And so if he joins the mobile infantry, they'll, if, when he gets out, They'll pay for him to go to Harvard, basically, is what he says. Uh, is that something that happens in the book? Or is there mention of anything like that? There's a brief mention that, like, if you go into a specific, like, um, subsection of the military, like, mm-hmm. if you go into, like, intelligence right. or something like, like what that. Carl is yeah, in. that they'll, like, send you through schooling. Yeah. Um, but there's no specific, like... Oh, I wanted to go to Harvard, but I can't afford it. And they're going to. Gotcha. I joined up because they're going to pay my. Yeah. And like I said, that's very clearly feels like a, a in the movie, a um, not a call out of some of the hypothetical future mm-hmm. um, society, but actually of our current society. And then the fact that there are tons of people who do join the military because they can't afford to go to college yeah. or even people that get into college or because if they they join the military, then they'll. uh you know, they'll get scholarship money or they'll get grant money or whatever for their college education and that sort of thing. Um, and there's even a mention of it by in the movie. Uh, I think it's um, of a similar thing uh, that I should have asked about, but that Rico is talking to his parents about wanting to join the military and his dad's like, no, it's terrible. And he goes, Oh, did you get that from your, or did, is your, your, your teacher putting these ideas in your head? Cause he has one teacher who's, a veteran or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and his dad says something about they should make it illegal or something like that for the, again, whatever the mil- the service, whatever it's called. Um, I can't remember what the whole thing's called. Uh, Cause there's like the mobile infantry and fleet yeah. or whatever. And I don't remember what the whole thing's called, but whatever. Uh, it's not really important. The service I'll call it for lack of a better word. Uh, his dad says they should make it illegal for the service to, to, uh, to advertise in, schools and that's the thing people talk about 
current day mm-hmm. all the time. Um, plenty of people are talking about how it's it's predatory and really should not be allowed for uh, this uh, different branches of the military to go into high schools and advertise and because they make it sound very appealing, you know, you can get your scholarship yeah. money and all that sort of thing. And so that also felt like a very contemporary call out of culture as opposed yeah. to this like hypothetical fascist society um, kind of drawing those parallels. Like maybe we're not as far away from this thing yeah. <laughs> as we think yeah, we are. <laughs> which, and I, I mean, Starship Troopers was written in the fifties and I, yeah. I don't know like how, like I know like, like the GI bill and that sort yeah. of thing that like, that was a thing post world right. war two, but I don't know how prevalent it was for, yeah, I don't know either. I have no idea. Yeah. And it's also more complicated than too, cause it's just different elements at different times of the draft. And, but in fifties, yeah. I don't, there was no, Korean War was six uh, early fifties. Early fifties. So, uh, but uh, ugh, I'm getting into stuff I don't know enough details about. But, um, yeah, it is. Yeah, in the movie, I've a very clear to me call out of, uh, yeah. of the society that we live in currently. Although he does, the dad does say the same thing in the book. Oh, does he? Yeah, he asks. Oh, okay. He asks if it's his teacher. Um, and then says like something to the effect of like, oh, they shouldn't be allowed to like talk to you about it or Interesting. something like okay. that. Okay, so that is okay. Yeah, but it didn't feel as much like a direct call out of like that kind of recruitment yeah. that happens. And it's also it's hard as to the tell movie does. Yeah. And we wouldn't know either because like you said, we don't know how prevalent that was. Yeah, I don't know period. how prevalent of a practice that was in the fifties. It might probably have been. Yeah. it might yeah, it might have been, but I have I no can't idea. imagine it. I would have bet it's always been a thing. Um yeah. but we don't yeah, who knows how much or how much it's changed or Maybe it used to be worse. <laughs> Who knows? Like, yeah. um, but also, it doesn't necessarily mean that Heinlein disagreed with that. Yeah. The dad could have been, like, in the wrong, essentially, in that in that moment. So this is an interesting thing in the movie that I don't know if there's too much to it, but I thought there's maybe something here to discuss. Uh, Jake Busey's character, which I don't know his name. That's Jake Busey. His the, name is Ace. Ace. The guy who the guy who looks like... The uh, guy with scary teeth. Yeah. Who looks like um, his dad. Um Gary Busey. Yeah. Uh, Jake Busey, who's also the guy in Contact, which we'll do one day, who blows up, uh, who suicide bombs the uh, um, the first big, uh, the, they build the space, the, 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 the machine to travel into space or whatever that they, they get the plans beamed to them from the aliens that they, they think or whatever. And he's mm-hmm. in, in the movie. He's like a, a religious zealot who suicide bombs and blows up hmm. the the big contraption or whatever um he's good at playing crazy looking characters because he's just (laughs) he's got a look he's got a whole look to him in this movie he's one of the squad mates of rico and uh we see several times throughout the course of the movie that he plays violin and seems to play it particularly well or Mm -hmm. you know fairly well he plays a sweet future violin yeah well later in the movie he does play dope future plastic dumb looking (laughs) space violin it's like a clear green plastic yeah it's it's great i do like that um but it looks stupid but uh in the beginning he's playing like a a traditional violin in like the barracks or whatever and playing Mm -hmm. more of like a classical type of song um, and I thought it was very interesting as potential commentary on sort of the maybe like wasted potential of hmm. these pe- of of these young people. Like so he's and, and again, because in this in the movie, his he's like the stereotypical, like sort of jockey broy like. Yeah, he's again, his name's Ace. He's like, uh, like cutting in line and 
and he seems, you know, he, he doesn't seem particularly like intellectual, shall we say. Yeah. Um, or artsy. Or artsy or anything like that. But we find out as we see in the background that he like plays violin and like classical violin potentially, um, which obviously doesn't really mesh with his character. And I, I could be wrong, but to me, I read that as sort of commentary on this idea that in the society, these people have as basically as a way to 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 comment on again the wasted the, we're throwing all of these kids into this fucking meat grinder mm-hmm. and uh there's so many other skills and talents and, and stuff that they have uh, but it's all for naught because of this endless war effort that that the society is locked in and i thought it was interesting uh again and i thought it was particularly striking to me because it was so incongruous with what you sort of see his character as in the movie again like if 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 there wasn't some other minor character who was like the nerdy one in the group who also played violin, it wouldn't have been as striking to me. Something about it with his character really made it strike a chord <laughs> with me. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. It's a bad musical pun. Um, anyways, is that an element of, I don't know if that character's in the book. If he is in the book, does he play violin? Uh, there is a character named Ace later in the book. I don't think it's ever mentioned that he plays an instrument. Rico does, like, especially when he's in boot camp, he does occasionally mention that, like, oh, so-and-so plays such-and-such instrument, so they would get pulled in to entertain us in the evenings. Oh, okay. Kind of a thing. Um, And I think there might have been a mention of a violin or a fiddle at some point, but it's not like an important element to the story. It's not really in the movie either. I didn't read it as such. Yeah. And again, it's not in the movie either. And I could could totally... It was just a thing that I got from it. And Death of the Author, whatever. But like... I, I'm not even saying that was necessarily intended by mm-hmm. any stretch. It's just something that I, when I was saw, and again, because we see it several times. And again, the first time in the barracks that struck out to me is he, uh, later on when he's playing that space fiddle and they're doing like a hoedown or whatever, like the dancing, it's, it's, it was less of that. But the first time he's just in this barracks in this weird macho environment playing like classical violin. And it was, yeah. and also, I guess I also think that's also very much like a callback to sort of like world war two era, like war movies and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It was more co- like, you, you know, the, that idea of like the as they're they're like riding on the ships, like in the belly of battleships, like on their way to Normandy or whatever. And there's like somebody in the bunk playing violet. Like, yeah, I think they're kind of a call. I was, think that was sort of a that kind of callback to sort of traditional uh, war movies, which is a big thing this movie does. And we'll talk about that more later. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to see if it was in the book. Only. A, oh, I got God, I got a lot. I have a lot of questions. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. I was going to say only a few more. That's not even true. Is Denise Redgard's character a pilot? Uh, and uh, a note onto that, I thought it was interesting, is that in uh, actual the actual U.S. military, it took quite a while for um, women to be allowed to be fighter pilots or pilots of any sort. Um, and so I, I just wanted to know if she was a pilot, and that's part of this. There is a female character named Carmen, and she is a pilot. In this universe world, uh, women are almost always pilots. Interesting. Because, quote, their reactions are faster and they can tolerate more G. Oh. So female pilot seems to be, like, totally normal within the world that Heinlein has created. It was was one of those... (laughs) We talked a little bit about how Heinlein wrote women... Yes. In the prequel episode. Yes, we did. And it was like, that's like on like page six 
where it started in in this book where he's talking about uh female pilots and how like they always like jerk things around and they're not like like they don't fly smoothly so when you have a female pilot you're always going to end up bruised but also they're super great at they're it the best because their reactions are so fast and they can get you in and out Real quick. And I was like, okay, Heinlein. I don't even know if that's a stereotype I don't of know, women. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about that. Yeah, that is weird. Um, the first U.S. Uh, uh, woman fighter pilot was, uh, at least on record, was in 1993. So it was a lot more. Like I said, I thought it was fairly recent. Um, and that's what we need, more female fighter pilots. <laughs> Well, their reactions are faster, and they can tolerate more G, so... And, and, I mean, it's much better to have women murdering people than it is to have men murdering people, so... Uh, so, one of the big incidents in the movie uh, is the incident that caused Johnny Rico to contemplate quitting the mobile infantry is that he is promoted to, like, squad leader at one point, and during a live fire exercise, he has one of his... Uh, soldiers take his helmet off because he's having issues with this helmet and then this results in uh, that soldier getting killed in the movie Mm -hmm. um, because a a misfire somebody gets shot with like a stun ray and accidentally shoots him in the head um, and kills him and uh, it's a big 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 deal big uh, crazy moment Uh, is that happening in the book no Rico does get lashes. At oh, one yeah, point. and then he also gets lashes yeah. afterwards. He does get lashes, uh, but it's not because he caused the death of a classmate during a routine drill. Um, it's because he uh, they're practicing using their power suits, and he's supposed to be, like, using the, the, the vision component of it and, like, reading data, but he doesn't really know how to do it, so he, like, cheats and flips the thing up and uses his eyes for a second. Oh, and oh, okay. he gets lashes for that. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So okay. the movie raises the stakes. Raises the stakes a lot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, interesting. And it's, we'll talk about, I have notes. I want to talk about uh, sort of how the effective, uh, the effective narrative of Johnny Rico as our protagonist and how the movie is, does a good job of making us root for Johnny Rico um, because of these sort of instances, this, this, this live fire incident and that sort of thing uh, really is, does a good job in my opinion of getting our sympathies on Johnny Rico's side to some extent um, because we tell he doesn't, he feels terrible about it and that sort of thing. And he's, and again, and, and blah, blah, as well he should, but, um, well, I say as well he should, it, but, well, uh, so the movie's doing this all to get our, our, our sympathies on Johnny Rico's side, but ultimately the message is that no, no, <laughs> you know, it, it, that's very interesting that can, that conflicting, that, that dissonance between in a very effective narrative, making us like and root for Johnny Rico and, and, and Carmen and them, uh, versus the overall thematic narrative of the story that conflict in the movie is very fascinating to me and i want to talk about it more later uh but this is one of those moments to me that's very humanizing and very like Mm -hmm. that that gets your sympathies on johnny rico's side uh followed up by uh so right after he gets lashes decides to quit uh buenos aires gets hit by a meteor and his parents who live in buenos aires get 
killed, as mm -hmm. far as we know. Um, and uh, this, he actually decides to go to war even before he finds out his parents are dead, basically. But he, that cements his, he, well, I, I, he starts running to like go see what's going on. And then they find out Buenos Aires got hit by a meteor. And then he's like, all right, I'm going to war. Mm -hmm. um, he doesn't even know for sure. It doesn't seem like that his parents are dead. It's not like I confirmed. Mean, like, the it's whole odd. place is like yeah, leveled. Odds wise, yeah, for sure. But he doesn't know for absolutely positive that they are. But he just assumes they are. And it's going to go to war. Um, is that like a similar thing that happens in the movie? Uh, Similar-ish. Buenos Aires uh, does get destroyed, as I mentioned. Um, his mother dies. He thinks initially that both of his parents have died right. but it turns out later just his mother dies oh interesting um but uh, like i said not because of a meteor it's because the bugs actually like attacked it yeah um there is a point in the book where rico considers leaving like partway through boot camp and decides not to but the the incident for him deciding that is not his home getting destroyed it's receiving a letter from his old teacher telling him how proud he is of him interesting there's followed shortly after that there's a we get another propaganda reel where they're talking about going to war going to war revenge for buenos aires and that sort of thing uh and there's a shot and everybody's doing their part and one of the things that everybody's doing their part is a shot to kids uh standing in the street stomping on cockroaches mm -hmm. um Again, clearly satirical, clearly uh, meant to make you chuckle and, and laugh at the absurdity of this uh, played played straight, but obviously absurd uh, moment of these kids stomping on cockroaches. Is that uh, that propaganda piece? Is that something from the book? No, I would assume not. Again. No, <laughs> I would assume not because it's very obviously satirical. And yeah. we're, we've discussed that the book isn't isn't potentially not only, you know, we think is probably not satirical as it would seem, um, whereas the movie is. So supposedly those cockroaches were fake, but I watched that movie. I don't know. They didn't look didn't fake to think me. They murdered cockroaches. For I this movie? think they murdered cockroaches. They, cockroaches. They, there was a fun fact that I read that said that those were fake hmm. and maybe they were. But those are some very convincing fake cockroaches. It seemed <laughs> I mean, it's possible. I'm not saying they weren't. I just, I also think they could have just lied after the fact and said they were fake mm, mm -hmm. and been like, yeah, we just killed some cockroaches. Like, I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm not saying it's a good thing or bad. I'm just saying, you know, I wouldn't surprise me if they lied about it later <laughs> just to like keep people off their backs about yeah. it. Yeah. But they did say they were fake. When they go, so they go, they launch the big attack. The, the, uh, the, Revenge attack against Klondathu, um, which is where they say that this meteor was launched at Earth from. Uh, and as they're arriving, there are this, like, anti-aircraft, again, big, giant, laser-type-looking blue energy beam things launching up at their spaceships and, like, blowing them up and stuff. And when they land, and, and I was wondering, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I um, wonder what the heck's doing that. And then we get down to the planet, and it's these giant, beetly, bug-looking mm -hmm. things. There's all kinds of different... Um, of these bugs and one of them is this giant lumbering huge things that turn around and put like kind of like a like a lightning bug um but they like eject this blue plasma yeah. stuff up into space uh and it's it's cool it's a really cool looking thing in the movie and i, I liked the whole in the movie the the ingenuity the inventiveness of the different ways that all the bugs like 
Mm-hmm. did things like the flying ones and the the ones that launched the anti-aircraft stuff and the brain bug that we'll talk about later all those different ones i thought were really cool and inventive um and this one was really gnarly to me because i wasn't expecting them to have anti anti-space aircraft anti-spacecraft <laughs> missiles basically uh is that something out of the book it's mentioned in the book that the bugs shoot at them but i guess it's not technically specified how they're doing that like the vibe shooting at them in space or uh, when they're like battling them on their planets okay. I, the vibe i got was more that they had weapons as opposed to like shooting lasers out their butts or yeah. like breathing fire yeah like i do, do believe that, that i remember that somebody said that they did actually have weapons and that they were yeah. less like bugs and more like just an alien species. Yeah, they're had, like, less like like they're bug bugs in the movie. And yeah. in the book, they're more like, yeah, like like we know they have like some kind of like spacecraft that gets them from planet to planet. Yeah. And presumably weapons. Yeah. And I think that's also another good uh, a, a potentially compelling and good change in the in the movie when you're making a critique of this society as mm-hmm. opposed to a um, potential like just exploration of this society, which yeah. whether or not you want to call the book a, a celebration or an exploration, it we don't think it's a critique. And so changing the enemy from something that is clearly equally powered potentially, or like, I don't know. I, I, I think the idea of making them actual like more insectoid like creatures is, a good change because they're, I don't know, maybe not. I guess the idea is that making them more alien, quote unquote, in the movie makes us divorce humanity from them more, mm-hmm. which makes the rooting for our good guys, quote unquote, easier, which makes for me the ultimate sort of rug under your out from under your feet message of, of as this as as a satire more effective because you're you're othering these the 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 bad guys more so than if they were like just slightly alien looking humanoid mm-hmm. type creatures you know what i mean mm-hmm. that had weapons and spaceships and stuff and it also makes us Again, it's one of those things that also makes me question whether or not they can launch meteors at Earth, whereas if they had spaceships yeah. and stuff, maybe I'm more inclined to think that they can sh- or or that they can come and attack Earth, like yeah. if they have spaceships and that sort of thing, whereas if they're just bugs that seem to like only live on a handful of planets and don't seem to have intergalactic travel or space, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like th- it seems like it's ver- very obvious that this this conflict is more one sided in the, in the sense that like our good guys they, they weren't actually posing any threat to earth probably, probably. and that yeah. that sort of thing you know what i mean i don't know it's interesting one of the things that happens in the movie uh, that i assume was probably something maybe from the book uh, speaking of kind of what i just talked about is there's this uh, a tv piece a propaganda piece where these two scientists or something are arguing on tv about whether or not the the bugs are intelligent right um and it's played as this like over the top pundit like you know it's it's crossfire or whatever like mm-hmm. screaming at each other on tv uh, about whether or not the bugs are intelligent um and and the guy who's seemingly winning the debate quote unquote uh is on the side of them not being intelligent and that they're actually these you know 
they uh, don't like animalistic. Yeah, they're they're of. not. They're yeah. they're we we should root them out and kill them because they're not intelligent. They're not. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're like a some sort of subspecies. Not subspecies isn't the right word, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Like they're they're not they're not dessert. They're not uh, they're not like. None of you can see Brian gesturing wildly right now, but he is. If you've seen Good, Bad, or Bad, Bad, just picture him gesturing wildly. Not conscious. What's the fucking word? Like, um, you know, like thinking, sentient. Sentient, yeah. Jesus Christ. That they're like not sentient, essentially. Like they're just like mindless, mm-hmm. you know, murdering bugs or whatever. And we should just eradicate them. That sort of thing. And he seems to be winning the debate. Again, sort of dehumanizing this this opponent and that sort of thing. So that specific scene isn't in the book. Whether or not the bugs are intelligent is, I guess, a point of contention in the book as well. Rico describes them as being like drones. Uh, there are workers that can't fight at all. They just like run by you. If they see you Hmm. and there are soldier bugs who like keep fighting until they're totally dead. Yeah. Like kind of similar to what we see in the movie. movie, But then at the same time, Rico also describes them as being smart, skilled and aggressive. Hmm. The bugs are Heinlein's metaphor for communists. (laughs) Of course they are. And it seemed to me as I was reading this book it seems to me like he couldn't decide if he wanted them to be like a complete hive mind or if they were smart and dangerous. That is that is the fascist uh, fucking that's that's fascist 101. That's your enemy is simultaneously um, incompetent and 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 stupid and undeserving of any sort of modicum of, you know, respect or humanity or anything. And this gigantic uh, outlandish threat that must be. You know, yeah. they ha- you're when that is that is fascist propaganda one on one. The opponent always has to be both of those things at the same time. And it's hard to tell, like it's hard to tell in the book if that if he's if that's like commentary that he's doing on fascism, yeah, or if that's just a feature of right. the world that we're in. You're not sure if it's a feature or a bug. I'm not. <laughs> Because he clearly, like, there's clearly, I, I feel like he does not have much love for communists. Yeah. The 50s, not a lot of people did. But also, the bugs are, I mean, they are a threat in right. this. It's not like in the movie where they're just, like, bugs and people are coming to kill them and they're fighting back. Yeah. They are actually, like, they're, like, actively colonizing other planets and, like, actively attacking human bases. And yeah, Yeah. And I think that does make, I think that is a good choice of the movie to make that less ambiguous, where the Mm -hmm. bugs are a threat because they're being invaded and attacked. And from what we can tell in the movie, again, I think, again, it's a really smart choice to make the things that are, hurting earth these asteroids that we don't know yeah and i assume are not a result of the the bugs doing any of these things um but are in fact uh just some sort of natural phenomenon or again i would take it to the extent that i i would bet if there was like 
more explored there if Paul Verhoeven like put pulled back some more layers on on that that it's actually again some corporation or something is mining the asteroid belt and mm-hmm. as a result these meteors are being ejected and hitting Earth and that sort of thing and it's it's commentary on yeah. capitalism. But we need or something a like scapegoat that. and but we need a scapegoat. These bugs, these bugs, boom, built in, boom, and and it's it, it's sort of that yeah uh, that fascism feeding into sort of capitalism uh, sort of machine churning through. Um, <laughs> turning through humanity. And, uh, yeah, we mentioned hi- Rico's high school teacher at the beginning of the movie. Uh, he has missing an arm, uh, played by Michael Ironsides in the movie, uh, and he comes out of retirement, essentially, uh, later in the movie as Captain Sergeant Lieutenant, I think, of the Roughnecks, uh, which is, like, this elite squad of... I don't know if they're elite, but they're a squad of of the mobile infantry who's, like... The best of the best, and they they don't they don't ever stop fighting, and they they don't lose as many people as the other squads and that sort of thing. Uh, and this guy's leading them, and he's like sort of ruthless and that sort of thing. Does that any of that stuff happen in the movie? That high school teacher coming back out of retirement. Oh, uh, the movie. The well, the movie combines characters. Here. Oh, okay. Uh, Rico's teacher in the book is Dubois, and they combine him with Radchek. I think is how they say his name. I don't know. In the movie, is the okay. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember that name. I the names. I remember our main characters' names. I don't remember like anybody else's names. Uh, it's like it's like Radchek's Roughnecks or whatever. I can't. Oh remember yeah, how I think that is right. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they combine those two characters. Those are two separate characters in the book. Okay. Uh. His teacher in the book eventually does come out of retirement and it's like revealed at the end that he rescued Rico on a mission where he was injured, but we don't like interact with him while he's on active military. We really only interact with him through Rico's memories. Okay. So he does, his teacher does come out of retirement and join the military, but he's not the specific character that is the leader of the roughnecks. Correct. So they took it that yeah, they, they combined. combined the, okay, characters. that makes sense. Okay, so they took that role of the leader of the Roughnecks and made that end up in, which again also doesn't, not that that, whatever, it doesn't make a ton of sense in the movie because it's like, well, who were the Roughnecks being led by before that? He was teaching in high school, like what, yeah. whatever, but sure, okay, yeah. Um, I think it's, it's a change that makes sense though. Only now we're close. Now we only have a few more. Does Rico have to kill Michael Ironsides, which is Radcheck or whatever? The leader of the Roughnecks, uh, he gets his legs uh, eaten off by a bug during the, they're at the outpost on the planet that mm-hmm. was ultimately a trap and they're being attacked on all sides from like thousands and thousands of bugs. Uh, and one of them comes up to the ground and rips off Michael Ironsides' legs and Michael Ironsides like, shoot me, kill me. And then he does, he shoots him. That does not happen in the book. Okay. Does it, do they shoot each other ever? Like, are there, or does like Radchek ever shoot? Cause that's another moment like, uh, earlier in the movie. Um, he shoots like one of the guys gets carried off by a flying yeah. bug and he shoots him and like to spare him from being I eaten. I don't think that ever happens in the book. Interesting. Eventually, like some actual basically child soldiers show up because so many, we find out so many of the mobile in- infantry have been killed at this point. Like hundreds of thousands have been killed. Uh, during the, the the battles over the course of the months that we've been kind of that we've been watching them and uh, they have to get reinforcements and they're like kids fresh out of boot camp but they even look younger than that 
Like mm-hmm. they look young, way younger than like Johnny Rico and stuff. They look like straight up like teenagers. Um, do we ever see any of that in like actual seemingly t- child soldiers? No. Okay. Yeah, and which again, that's another thing I would expect that I think maybe that that the, again with the movie going for more of a critique is yeah, obviously, I think that's a natural extension of what the movie is doing. Yeah, because we get that gag at the beginning where the kid, like a little kid, steps during the propaganda video, like the little kid steps out of the yeah. soldiers and it's like I'm doing my part, and it's like a, like, but then we actually see like somebody not much older than that mm-hmm. coming to fight later in the movie. Uh. <laughs> So they gotta go. Their their big final mission is they gotta go try to capture this brain bug on this planet that they they want to study so that they can figure out how these things think or whatever basically, and they think it'll help in the war effort. And they're it's the brain bug. They they get in. There's a bunch of stuff that happens. Uh, Denise Richards crashes and ends up in this cave where this brain bug is, and we're introduced to it. And it's her and uh, Patrick Muldoon's character, uh, Xander. Xander, who we haven't talked much about, but um, he's a He's also a, a pilot. He's also a pilot, and I have a question about him here for Lost in Adaptation yeah. in a second, so we'll talk about him then. But they're trapped in this cave, and they're and they're, but they're being held because this brain bug is going to come and like uh, interrogate them, for lack of a better word. Um, and the brain bug comes and it and it and it sticks a giant spike into its into their head and sucks their brains out and then seemingly potentially gets information somehow out of that. Mm-hmm. It, it would, they would, they, that's what they pop. That's what they're guessing is happening. Um, cause it had happened earlier in the movie to somebody else off camera that we didn't see, but we saw the hole in their head afterwards. And, uh, it happens to Patrick Muldoon, um, in this moment. And one of the gnarliest special effects in the movie, it's wild. Um, but the alien is uh, strongly vaginal, shall we say. Yes. And that does not feel unintentional. No. Uh, and we'll talk about it more uh, in a little bit. Um, is that any of that, the, the brain bug with the, the drinking the brain milkshake or it looking strongly vaginal? Any of that? No, none of book? that is from the book. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Uh, and then finally, they do capture a brain bug, mm-hmm. uh, and they pull it out, and this is the very end of the movie. They pull it out, and they have it tied up, and Neil Patrick Harris, psychic Neil Patrick Harris, walks up. And uh, this is where the, again, the whole sort of the the cherry on top of the critique of this film is that they pull this big alien bug out of the ground, and Neil Patrick Harris walks up to it, and he puts his hand on it to read its mind or whatever. And he's sitting there and he's reading its mind and somebody asks him, what are you, what are you sensing or something like that? And Neil Patrick Harris turns and goes, it's afraid. And they all cheer mm-hmm. and with raucous applause at the fact that this bug is scared. And it's a great line. And very clearly this is, again, this is sort of the cap on our, uh, the, 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 you're, you're also supposed to cheer in this moment. But then think about it for half a second <laughs> and you're like how horrifying this moment is. Um, is that something out of the book? Again, I, my guess would be no. You would guess correct. With this being a big element of yeah. the critique of this society and, and that sort of thing. But uh, uh, yeah, so no. No. It's not afraid. Well, we don't. It doesn't. We don't that whole scene's not in the book. How does the book end? Uh, they do capture what they call a brain bug, which it's not really clear in the book. They have, they say that there's like, they think there's like a queen 
similar to like a lot of different hive bug structures. Yeah. Um, and then they think that there are also brain bugs that they posit, like give orders to like the worker drones and the soldier drones. Yeah. So they do capture what I guess is brain bugs. They say they capture a couple of them at the end of this last mission. We find out, um, but supposedly they die really quickly, like after they're removed from that planet. So yeah. like that, that's basically how the book ends. Okay. All right. That was all I had for, was that in the book? Let's go ahead. I had one question for Lost in Adaptation. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. Why was it lost? Yes. Yes. And I want to get unlost as soon as possible. This is one I just wasn't sure about. I didn't get it in the movie, and I didn't know if there was any more details from the book. Wolfie. Wolfie. We'll see. Uh, like I, We mentioned Patrick Muldoon. Uh, Xander, right? Or something like that. Was that his name? Yes, Xander. Uh, and he, in the movie, he's playing football with Johnny Rico early on, and he seems to also be a senior or whatever graduating from said school, and he's also joining the fleet mm-hmm. uh, to be a pilot like Carmen is. And then Carmen gets assigned to a ship to be like a trainee pilot and then xander is training her and i didn't understand how that made sense if they were like graduated at the same time and went through the program at the i didn't get that is there is that anything that happens in the book Uh, or do you make any more sense of that (laughs) i can't help you here okay um one xander is a movie creation okay he's not from the book Two, the book does not follow Carmen at all. Okay. I agree with you that this is kind of weird. Yeah, I did not understand that at all. I was like, what? I understand that the movie wanted to, like, pit him and Rico directly against each other. But I feel like he should have been, like, a returning graduated student who's, like, visiting. Like, a cool college kid at home to visit for homecoming or something yeah. like that. And it's like flirting with. Unless I'm dumb and that's what it was, but it didn't seem but like he it. was playing football. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't. And it wasn't. They weren't playing against like the military. Because like maybe so. it could have been like maybe a military that's, yeah, versus maybe a that's high school it. game. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But I could have swore I remember him saying I it's possible I missed it. I was writing lots of notes. Um, but in my head, he was also like a student. I yeah. guess we never see him in any of the classes, do we? Or no. Well, he would have to be a student from another school, right? Because they were playing against each other. Right. I also assumed that maybe it was just like some sort of intramural type of Oh, yeah, thing. I guess I so. don't know. I, but either way, I I, I don't know. It, to me, it's the, and I guess it's a possible that I just misunderstood what he, like, where he was. And maybe he was already like some sort of returning student mm-hmm. and playing like the military it was like the high school versus like the military squad or something i don't know but i just thought it was interesting that he's like training her because i i read them as also both being the same age and same students together but it's possible that that wasn't the case i guess yeah so, who knows wasn't able to clear it up any more than <laughs> than what we well, got in the movie the book cannot help us i, I know what case. would clear it up well what would potentially clear it up is just watching the movie again yeah like if i could just look or it's probably on wikipedia like his character description might be able to find it but either way all right let's go ahead and talk about what you found better in the book you like to read oh yes i love to read what do you like to read everything i have a handful of things here 
the first three are serious. Okay. The last two are kind of tongue in cheek. Um, but the first three that I want to hit on are like the three coolest like future tech things from the book that were n- not in the movie. Okay. Like the three coolest things. The first thing is the way that the mobile infantry descends from their spaceships onto the planet, which is that they're all in their own individual capsule mm. and they get shot out of the ship like bullets. That's that's Halo. Halo down does that. to the surface of the planet and the capsule like burns up upon entry and they just like parachute in. It's kind of like what uh, Halo does. Halo does have and I think a lot of this sounds obviously very sort of Halo Mm-hmm. Pulled some because the power suits, which is your next note here, is also a big thing in Halo. He wears like big power armor yeah. that allows him to like you know lift a million pounds and yeah. stuff like that. Um, but they he do, they do drop onto planets in like little pods sometimes, not every time I guess, but um, yeah. So that's, and I'm guessing that was maybe like a like an effects probably thing. they probably they probably couldn't make it look good maybe so. they had a hard time looking that look good because this movie does look really good in yeah. general like relatively i mean it was nominated for an oscar which i think it deserved like it looks it's like 97 or whatever this mm-hmm. movie came out um but like i really loved the mix of practical like models and 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 like you know sort of more old style like star trekky looking spaceships yeah. and stuff with cg the bugs look really good like mm-hmm. it still holds up pretty well um i would argue there's a few things here and there that look a little wonky but lots of practical effects in goo and gore and stuff mixed with like pretty cool special like uh, cgi and stuff i thought it looked really really cool and but yeah that might have been a little tough to do yeah then they call them cap troopers and it was literally like the coolest thing in the book yeah not in the movie i i read i uh, that's funny that you mentioned that though because i did there was a note on when i was doing research for the prequel that they still call them cap troopers in the movie at one point, mm-hmm. but but we don't know why. And I guess you would assume maybe because of their helmets. Yeah. Like cap like but um but that's actually a reference to the book, which is the capsules that they drop. Yeah. In, so uh the power suits. Yeah. Power suits are also missing, which what exactly they are is kind of vague-ish. Like sometimes when he's describing them, they sound more like like an actual suit. Yeah. And sometimes it sounds like they're more like a mech. Yeah, well, that's what power suits are. They're like an exoskeleton. Yeah. Um, because there are v- types of them that are like not like using any, but like there are like uh, different um prototypes of them that we have that are like exoskeletons on your body that are kind of like a suit. Mm-hmm. Um, but also they're like in between a mech and a suit. Like they're not like this huge big thing, but they are like you know. Yeah. So they make you like. Your- jump higher run faster yeah. they augment all your senses yeah and they uh, et cetera, have et armor built into yeah. them and stuff like that yeah no power suits in the movie no we so. just get the armor yeah they like just the, have armor and that you know that that for sure is a practical mm-hmm. uh budget based like just we can do them all cgi running around all the time it would just be you know they would have to look like iron man basically yeah and it would just it's not possible yeah. at the time so i mentioned earlier the genetically engineered dogs they sound really creepy in the book because they can talk, but like their mouths can't make like can't make the right shape to make all of the sounds. So they have like this weird accent, oh, apparently. Strange. So they sounded really creepy. So I was kind of hoping we would get like some kind of nod to that in the movie with like a talking dog. Yeah. But none of that. Um, so those were my serious ones. Okay. <laughs> 
They should have made Denise Richards shave her head. Oh, she had to get like a military cut? Uh, Carmen shaves her head in the book. And I just want to read <laughs> to you okay. guys. She's not in a lot of the book. Uh, we see her a handful of times. And there's one point when Rico is in, he's in uh, officer school. Yeah. And she shows up and uh, wants to like take him out to dinner. <laughs> one thing did startle me. Carmen relaxed and took off her hat while we were eating, and her blue-black hair was all gone. I knew that a lot of the Navy girls shaved their heads. After all, it's not practical to take care of long hair in a warship, and, most especially, a pilot can't risk having her hair floating around, getting in the way, in any freefall maneuvers. Shucks, I shaved my own scalp, just for convenience and cleanliness. But my mental picture of little Carmen included this mane of thick, wavy hair. But you know, once you get used to it, it's rather cute. I mean, if a girl looks all right to start with, she still looks all right with her head smooth. She shaved her head, but don't worry, guys. She's still, she's hot. still hot. She's still hot. Don't worry. Still hot. Uh... I'm just going to sip some wine real quick. All right. There was one other thing. So uh, in the movie, both of Rico's parents die yeah, when, when Buenos they... Aires gets destroyed. In the book, he thinks that they both die, finds out later that his dad was actually not there and only his oh. mom died. And then <laughs> later on, he, his, he runs into his dad, who has joined the mobile infantry. Oh. And he like they like meet up. And his dad, like, waxes poetic about how he was mad at Rico because Rico had the courage to do what he couldn't. Oh. But the thing, the thing that got me was that it comes out of nowhere in the book. Like, he's just, like, like he they make, they make port. He's on a ship, and they make port, and he's just, like, walking around. And then all of a sudden, he starts going, Father? Father? And I had to read this, the freaking paragraph, like, five times, because I was like, surely they don't mean his actual, actual father. <laughs> but but they do. Heinlein does. His actual father, however many years old, 22 years older than Johnny Rico, yeah. they specify it in the book. Gotcha. But we don't really know how old he's supposed to be Well, in exactly. the movie, yeah, he's... 20 something but yeah young. so he joins the military yeah. there you go which was a thing they could have done i yeah. think they could have had him like show up but yeah there's already a lot going on. there was already a lot going on i guess all right let's go ahead and talk about what was better in the movie my life has taught me one lesson hugo and not the one i thought it would happy endings only happen in the movies I liked the bug dissection scene. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was an interesting ad. It's not in the book. Yeah. Yeah, they do dig through the guts of some bugs. Yeah. And they're the with the that lady scientist who's this like over the top like wacky scientist lady yeah. with the glasses, like those weird little glasses and stuff. Yeah, yeah it looks like a mad scientist, yeah. like evil villain. Yeah. Uh, Rico in the book does sign up for uh, to do service because of Carmen, but in the book they actually aren't dating. 
he sees her at the recruiting headwater at headquarters and like wants to impress her so he's like oh yeah i'm definitely signing up too yeah and it just feels like really random yeah um so i i preferred that like they were in a relationship yeah that made more sense to me I did like getting to see more of Carmen's story. Uh, like I said, in the book, she just kind of like shows up every now and then. Um, I wouldn't even call her a tertiary character. She's yeah. whatever's after that. <laughs> Quatriary. Quatriary, I, I guess. Know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so I thought it was interesting getting to see more of her like learning to pilot a ship. Mm-hmm. Neat. Um, we talked about Johnny getting lashes. Uh, I liked that the movie upped the ante by having him actually get someone killed as a result of his actions. Yeah. And they, they make it in the movie as like his aspirations is that he wanted he he wanted to do so well on this training mission mm-hmm. to prove that he could lead this squad uh, that he he didn't want this guy dragging down his unit with this helmet being malfunctional. So he has him take it off so he can try to fix it or whatever. Yeah. Even though he doesn't really know how to fix a helmet is like kind of what they play at in the movie. Um, and so it, they kind of pin it on like his, uh, his own pride and that sort of thing mm-hmm. is why was it? Cause maybe. Hubris. Yeah, kind of, <laughs> but it also just feels like, I don't know, like yeah. maybe if there's nobody there who can fix the helmet, maybe I can, maybe the strap's fucked up or something and I can fix it. I, I, right. I mean, also, you shouldn't take your helmet off in the middle of a live fire exercise, but, you know, whatever. Well, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, he makes a judgment call in that moment. Yeah. And if nothing bad had happened, yeah, it wouldn't have made a difference. But yeah. something bad did happen. Yeah. But anyway, I like that the movie up to that antique because I, mm-hmm. I was like reading in the book i was like really they're gonna give him lashes for that that yeah. seems excessive seems weird. but but that although i will I say that in the in the movie or in the movie that maybe if they had kept it similar that's a maybe more of a, a obvious critique of this system yeah potentially you know for something so trivial as like vaguely maybe kind of cheating on a weird test thing versus like somebody dying at your hands kind of thing although at the same time it's like the movie the way the movie does it is it's very obvious that rico feels terrible about it and and it actually takes the lashes even though he's planning to quit as like his own sort of self-flagellation for lack of a better word because he could just quit he's quitting anyways yeah and they even say to him like why did you do the lashes if you were just gonna quit like you were quitting um so yeah Oh, we talked about the changes that the movie made to the bugs, um, that the humans in the movie, like, potentially probably provoked and essentially invented that conflict. I think that's a good change. Yeah. Um, especially insofar as what the movie is critiquing yeah. fascism as opposed to whatever the book is doing. Yeah. Uh it's not something that I got from the book that the conflict was invented. Like I said, Heinlein soldiers are fighting a communist metaphor. Yeah. So. Yeah. I also thought the movie made the good choice to combine the character of the teacher with the character of his like squad leader, captain yeah. person. Captain um, they're both father figures to him. Mm-hmm. So like timeline wise, I agree. It's a little bit wonky in the movie. Yeah. But I think it makes sense as far in so far as like what those characters um, symbolize yeah. or mean to our main character. I also liked that the movie upped the stakes by giving the bugs some like additional powers. 
Like, there's no mention that they can, like, fly in the book. So I thought that was interesting. They definitely don't ever breathe fire. Yeah. Yeah, they breathe fire and they got, like, razor wings. They're, like, yeah. slicing people's heads off as they fly by and stuff. They're pretty gnarly. All right, that was better in the book. Let's go ahead and in the talk. Movie. In, the movie. in the movie. Sorry, that was better in the movie. Let's go ahead and talk about what the movie nailed. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. The very first classroom scene, I put it under here. It's not exactly like Where he's talking word about the failure word, of democracy. Yeah. yeah, but it's an amalgamation of a couple different classroom scenes from the book, uh, including a few lines of what I recall as being exact dialogue. Yeah. Um, and the, the one-armed veteran teacher. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, the one thing in particular I caught was the, you know, they're talking about the failure of democracy and the, the supremacy of violence and, and sort of yeah. the, the violence as the ultimate um, conflict resolution type of thing. Yeah, it's a, a controlled problem solving yeah. or something like that, he calls it in the book. War is controlled violence for a purpose. Mm. That's what he says. Mm -hmm. In addition to other lines. Yeah. Like... There are no dangerous weapons. There are only dangerous men, hmm. which I think yeah, the NRA has co-opted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, no, that is literally. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is that's literally the guns NRA don't kill people. Point. People guns kill people. People kill people. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, Carmen wanting to be a pilot. That's right out of the book. She says that as they're going to sign up. She's like, I'm going to be a pilot. Um, his dad not wanting him to join the military, and then he offers him, like, a rich kid vacation yeah. instead. I think the movie nailed the character of Johnny Rico. Oh, yeah? He's basically the same. I used the word fuckboy to describe <laughs> him in my notes at least seven times. Fair at enough. least. I uh, didn't think he was that bad in the movie. I mean, he's not not a fuckboy. He's boy. not great. He's not not a fuckboy, but he's yeah, he's well well meaning and as you as well meaning as you can be. We, I have notes. We're going to talk about this in our odds and ends here in a second, so we'll just get to it. But anyways, oh, we talked about the recruitment guy missing an arm and both legs. Um, when they get to boot camp, uh, Zim, Sergeant Zim, yeah, whatever he is, um, the, the drill sergeant. Yeah, guy. the drill sergeant when he like challenges the new recruits to try to fight him. Like and then, break their yeah, arms. he does break a guy's arm. Mm -hmm. uh, Buenos Aires getting destroyed, kicking off the war. Um, Come on, you apes. You want to live forever mm, is yeah. a quote from uh, it's a quote from a World War One. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, unknown platoon sergeant. 1918. Uh, come on, you apes, you want to live forever? Yeah. yeah. Um, so also quoted in the book, the book starts each chapter with a quote, which was just delicious. <laughs> um, uh, Johnny, when he accepts his uh, command promotion, he says, till I get killed or you find someone better. But that's what Ratchik says to him first. The movie, yeah. at least in the movie, the way the movie does it is, Ratchik says, you're my leader until you get killed or I find someone better. And then later yeah, yeah, on, Rico turns it. that around. But and... that line is from the book. Okay. Um, and then after he gets promoted, the platoon is renamed to Rico's Roughnecks. That's like one of the last lines in the book. And that's what Gabriel uh, Gabriel from uh, Walking Dead says that. Um, or no, 
No, that guy's yeah, it is a him. Um yeah. after he gets promoted, he's he's like, We're the roughnecks or whatever, and Gabriel from he's Walking like, Dead walks Rico's in. Rico's Rico's Roughnecks. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. So there's some details that the movie nailed. We've got some odds and ends before we get to the final verdict. We're really going to get into it here and talk about this odds and ends section is going to be where we kind of really get into a discussion about whether or not we thought this was uh, the film was an effective satire. So if you were sticking around for that sort of conversation, that's probably going to be most of this. So... All right, Katie, what do you got for your, uh, what do we got? What are we talking about? Um, I want to talk first about a difference between the book and the movie mm-hmm. that I didn't really have a good place to put. So many people sign up for federal service in the movie. Yeah. Like, they show them all being sworn in, and it's like their entire class. Yeah, it seems like yeah. hundreds of people or something, yeah. In the book, like, no one does this. Yeah. They actively discourage people from signing Mm. up for service like every step of the way in the book and it it is a major difference i think it's funny though because rico does mention sorry go ahead ahead, sorry sorry. well i think the movie shows the world's fascism by having everyone be like chomping at the bit to join Mm -hmm. up with various reasons for doing so. Now, in the book, a lot of people look down on going into the service, which we get, a, like, a little bit of that in the movie from his parents. But it's, like, a lot of people look down on it in, in the book's world, um, and it's actively discouraged. They make it super easy to quit. Like, if you sign up, you can basically leave at any time and nothing will happen to you. You just don't get your citizenship. Yeah. Like, but, like, you don't get, like, court-martialed or anything like that. I think the movie does that, too, yeah. Because, I mean, they say, like, the washout lane, they just let them leave. Like, it seems like you can just leave without, like, you know, getting in trouble. Well, it felt to me like there was a lot of Heinlein, like, justifying the system of government that he was writing with it, like, through this. Like, you have to do service in order to vote or to otherwise participate in civic life, but he has kind of bent over backwards to create a culture that goes to great lengths to make sure that only the quote-unquote best people end up having that power yeah and you're nobody's forcing you type yeah nobody's forcing you like there's no draft right you don't they don't conscript people into the army it's all on a volunteer basis but you have to volunteer to have a literal say yeah it's yeah i think it is sort of alluded to in the movie that it is sort of looked down upon or because like his parents like rico's parents are like he's like you're not going in the military you're going to college like you can go into harvard or you know like yeah there's like but then in the same breath like so many people do it. right so many people do it and it does seem there's yeah it does also seem like you know because we see so much propaganda clearly the movie is taking it a different direction because we see so much propaganda where they're celebrated as heroes right and like everybody's in the movie it's not clear to me like are his parents just outliers right is that something that they think yeah um or or maybe it's it's uh it's maybe it's like an opinion held by like maybe just the upper class like the educated or something yeah something like that yeah no i agree yeah the movie doesn't we don't get enough of like the general feeling of people to know how widespread that the feelings of like like if his parents feelings are common that sort of thing Mm -hmm. um but there is we get a little hint of like that idea and there is even a specific line where rico says 
um, about the because after his dad says they shouldn't be allowed to like, uh, you know, try to recruit you in high school or whatever. And Rico says, oh, no, it's like the opposite of that. They're like actually like discouraging us or something, yeah. which is funny when he said that, because I was like, it doesn't really seem like he was discouraging. Like the class we saw yeah. didn't really strike me as the teacher, like discouraging people to join it's sort of, I don't know. He that made it sound like, like, I don't know. That was something that came over from the book that I felt like didn't quite fit in the world of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And again, and that's where you kind of get, uh, when you're, when you're switching up sort of the point. Yeah. You can some of the details then become incongruous with what your theme is. Like if, if in the movie, the theme is this is fascism, fascism bad. Yeah. Not every element of what you get from the book where the theme is, this is vaguely authoritarian like they probably wouldn't maybe he wouldn't call it he probably wouldn't call it fascism i don't think heinlein would have called it fascism right but this is this is uh um militaristic futurism uh authoritarianism yeah. whatever uh and this is this is probably good um so all of his details don't translate perfectly yeah. to a world where you're trying to say this is bad um, so I think that the, there's definitely could be some friction there in terms of copying over all of the aspects of the story yeah. and not fitting when you're cha- literally potentially flipping the the whole <laughs> the whole narrative, like the whole theme, like the whole point of the story. I did notice I thought it was funny when Neil Patrick Harris, uh, they're at the prom or whatever it is at their high school. Mm-hmm. And Neil Patrick Harris's character walks in and starts schmoozing on Dizzy. I think yeah. it's dizzy or whatever, and and uh, and like trying to dance with her, and I'm I'm like not even watched How I Met Your Mother, but it I was like I'm pretty sure he's like a schmoozy asshole in that show. Yeah. I was like I felt like he's really getting into his uh his How I Met Your Mother character <laughs> early here. Speaking of dizzy, or Diz, I guess Dizzy is her name. I don't know. He just always called her Diz. Yeah. Uh, they sub Dizzy at a couple but, times. Yeah. But. I thought the addition was interesting yeah uh, there was a lot of like romantic intrigue and love triangle that i wasn't expecting in yeah. this movie yeah like and then adding xander in for carmen but then both of them die so rico and carmen just like maybe end up together anyway yeah yeah i want to talk about dizzy dying okay yeah dizzy does die <laughs> she dies and we had a moment of laughter <laughs> watching this movie because she was dying and i was like oh she's gonna die and you were like yeah yeah and i was like well at least they got to have sex that one time yeah because right before this scene where she dies uh they they finally they go down to the bone zone and they yeah they go to the bone zone and i was like well at least they got to have sex that one time like making a joke yeah and then like right after i said (laughs) it she like musters and she's like it's okay because I got to have you. Ugh. And I was like, oh, okay. She literally says literally. the thing said, yeah. We got to have sex that one time, it so great. it's fine. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah, I th- that, yeah, you called that one. It was pretty funny. Made me chuckle. Which, I don't know, and she's character is interesting, because she, like, kind of, she kind of knocks on Johnny Rico for going into the military because of Carmen, but she's literally there because of him. Yeah. And, like... I like I feel like she just aspires to having sex with him. Yeah. And that's like all she wants. That's her goal in life. And, and then she, like she, knocked she, it out she crushed it. She, cr- she cr- <laughs> literally. 
Yeah. Yes. All right. Let's let's talk about um, it's the thing we talked about in the prequel uh, that some people, you know, when this movie came out, got mixed reviews. Some some critics didn't seem to sort of see it as satire. Um, it, it in later years, the filmmakers have come out and said that it, yes, it is. You know, we're we're, just, we're we're critiquing this society and and this is a satire of fascism and this sort of fascistic government. And it's watching the movie again. It's a very it's 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 an interesting it's an interesting way that they did it mm-hmm. uh and you you had the words uneven i thought it felt uneven to me like it felt like not uneven but like it felt like a couple different kinds of satire yes like the interspersed like like uh propaganda news broadcasts right. i thought were like so over the top and on the nose like it almost felt like something out of like a mel brooks movie yes and then the interspersed like uh like the satire and the actual narrative some of it was like a little more subtle yeah or or at least not like outright kind of goofy yeah and then there were other moments where i felt like it was satirizing like sci-fi a bit more generally Mm -hmm. as opposed to like fascism and war yeah it's very complicated is what I got as watching it or after I was watching it. Um, because so you have, like you said, the, the newsreel propaganda pieces, which make it very obvious mm-hmm. that this is a critique. This is satirizing this, this militaristic society, fascism, all of these things. But when you actually get into like the story, and we're like following Johnny Rico and stuff. A lot of that doesn't feel like it's saying a lot about. Yeah. It it just feels like we're watching a vaguely compelling war movie. Yeah, I thought a lot of it felt often. It felt to me like it wasn't meant to be a parody at all, with the exception of like moments here and there. I yeah, I agree. And this is where I thought it was very interesting. Is that I think I could be wrong. But I wonder if that wasn't the point is that I thought I found the performance is all actually really good. Um, relatively speaking, there's moments here and there that are a little cheesy and stuff. But overall, mm-hmm. I thought the performances were really compelling and good. I thought you you really start to sort of feel like I thought Casper Van Dien's performance uh, as Johnny Rico and following his story and, and sort of, again, his his humanizing moments that we get throughout the course of the movie, like when, when Carmen breaks up with them and uh, when he accidentally gets uh, that soldier killed and all these things make us really feel for him. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, we don't really see any negative traits from him over the course of the movie. Yeah. I, I think at the beginning he seems kind of douchey a little, a yeah. little, but not like, but like well-intentioned, but just kind of like jockey and do- yeah. you know what I mean? But not like a bad guy. Like he's not like, he's not going around like, harassing women you know what i mean like he doesn't have like obvious bad traits like that 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 so we're kind of rooting for him over the course of the movie um and carmen too like we're rooting for them over the course of the movie yeah um we want to see her succeed uh and i think part of that is is steeped in the fact that we know you know in our society like um uh, 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 i mean yeah for us she's breaking a glass ceiling and for us she's breaking glass ceiling obviously not for and again it's a glass ceiling to go blow up uh, yeah. brown people on another planet essentially but so you know that all taking taking that all into account but 
that being said, it, within the narrative, it, we're rooting for her to succeed as a woman in what we see as a uh, something outside of what typically mm-hmm. um, our society would say women should be allowed to do, that sort of thing. So we're rooting for these people. And the movie literally just trades on every war movie trope ever. Like yeah. we have, you know, there, there's like the there's the it's a trap moment where they end up at this outpost where there was a massacre, and then a, oh, it turns out that they were the 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 it ended up being a trap for them, and they and they have this like big last stand moment, and the music is super compelling. Um, and we're rooting for Johnny Rico. He's like this very humanized, uh, like his parents were killed. He's just trying to do his best and he, he, he messes up and gets somebody killed and like we feel bad for him and we want him to succeed. And so this whole time we're like really rude. And, and, and again, the score is telling us these people are our heroes and uh, and and they're fighting an actual threat like the bugs aren't they aren't just going in like mowing down like. You know, we're not watching them go into like a town and like flamethrow like civilians. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they're be they're fighting an active battle, that sort of thing. So the movie trades on all of our ideas of what a war movie that we would want. Like if we were watching a World War Two movie or whatever, pick you know, pick a war movie where we're rooting for the good guys and we wouldn't re- begin to even question whether or not they were the good guys. This movie just gives us that. Mm hmm. But then over the course of the movie and with the, again, with the parts early on with the, um, the, 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 the propaganda state TV and all that sort of thing. And then over the course of the movie, the costumes that some of our characters are, that are, are good characters, quote unquote, are presented in. They, they're always have hints of, uh, Nazi iconography through the whole time. But by the end of yeah. the movie, Neil Patrick Harris is literally wearing Gestapo yeah. A Gestapo outfit. Like he he literally looks exactly like, you know, Himmler or something. Like he Yeah, the long coat. The long coat, yeah. all black, the hat, like and we haven't seen them in that and since, you know, and then all of a sudden, um, and literally another detail that I notice is that towards the end of the movie, like early on we see Carmen and them when they're flying ships, she's in like her navy Again, it's sort of vaguely Nazi looking, but it's it also is just kind of like a gray military outfit. Mm-hmm. Hints of n- n- Nazi iconography, but not o- as as overt. But then literally by the end of the movie, when she comes and saves Johnny Rico on that planet, when she's in the, the, the little shuttle or whatever. I don't know if people notice this, but they're like literally dressed almost exactly like the TIE fighter pilots from Star Wars, like the yeah. black space pilot outfit like it's all black with the like literally i almost identical barring the helmets uh to the bad guys from star wars and i think this movie is doing this thing of giving us these heroes that we do not question that Mm -hmm. that is trying it wants us to be rooting for them and not question and be like yes get kill those bugs and then the end of the movie and, and it's given us hints that maybe we shouldn't think this throughout the course of the film um, but not, but it kind of drops off for like the from the halfway mark to like almost to the very end. It kind of stops giving us like the obvious satire and just gives us like a compelling war narrative that kind of sucks you in. And then I think when it gets to the end, when we get to the part with the brain bug and then especially at the end after they capture the brain bug, we get this horrifying scene of them um, extracting information from it where they're literally 
violating this in in yeah. a in a very on the note. Again, we talked about how this bug is strongly uh, vaginal, for lack of a better strongly word. Strongly vaginal, and then there's a speculum. Yes, uh, and in very so like very clearly, uh, this is supposed to be seen as very violating and very you know, uh, and, and again reinforcing and and our bad guys the, the whole it's afraid scene, um, and, and our bad guys are now like I said, or our good guys are now literally dressed as Nazi officers, like yeah. to the to the nines. I think the movie is asking us to question every single war movie we've ever watched in the same way. Would be my would mm-hmm. be my, where I get to it eventually. I think in a modern day made differently this movie would probably be more thoroughly satire throughout. Mm-hmm. There would be more satirical scenes, more on the nose satire during the war scenes that was more obviously sort of calling out this um, hypocrisy in what we're watching type Mm -hmm. of thing. But I think there is something to be said for this movie going so hard into selling us the narrative that we want Mm -hmm. as watching our heroes in this movie, but then asking us at the end and, and, and at the beginning, sort of bookending us with this, maybe think about what you're watching here and can, you know, think a little bit harder about it and then doing it in such a way where their story is so, the film is so reminiscent of, again, every other war movie you've ever seen. Maybe all war is that, like maybe this idea of good guys and bad guys isn't as simple and that, you know what I mean? And, And I think, that's a very compelling way to make a movie if that was their goal. And it seems like it was based on what we've seen with interviews from Paul Verhoeven and stuff and other people involved in the movie. I will say that I think that you could definitely like Fight Club. This is one of those movies where you can miss the point. Yeah. There's very obvious tells in this of what they're doing, but because the main narrative is compelling and 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 not satirical in how it's presented that the satirical elements that are there to have us call into question the entire story can get lost on people i think potentially yeah no i I I agree with that and so that's where i think it becomes a little more complicated than oh yes it's an obvious brilliant satire through and through it is but it's it's presented in a way where that's not so obvious if you're not thinking about it as a whole necessarily. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I think the thing that's missing that if done, uh, if if this if there was a remake of this movie, I think we would get a lot more scenes throughout the movie when they're in battles, when they're doing things that are callbacks to specific sort of cult, cultural touchstones for us that make it obvious that our guys are the bad guys. Yeah throughout the movie as opposed to just like the propaganda things in the beginning and the thing at the end and the and the and the outfits i think we would be getting moments where it's a little more and there's some of that in the movie i don't want to say there's none there's there right. is some of that but that being said like i've said i think it's there is something still very compelling about not doing that making us root for them and then making us think about that which is what for me the movie did really well um but when you do that like Fight Club, like other movies like that, people cannot get it and just be like, yeah. Yeah. Only good bug's a dead bug. Yeah. (laughs) 
So I, I thought it was super fascinating. I I thought it was I thought it was really 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 interesting. I I I enjoyed it thoroughly. So let's go ahead and see what Katie has for her final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. Well, I actually want to start out with a question for you, okay. Ryan. Did I enjoy this book? No. <laughs> Not at all. I think I made no bones about no, it. You, I, I did not no, like reading I, this book. Yeah. <laughs> dozen times I feel like you were voiced your... My dissent. Your dissent. Uh, your your uh, derision for the book, yeah. So, during our prequel episode, I mentioned that a criticism often levied at Starship Troopers, the book, is that it isn't really a story but a series of political essays loosely tied together into a story. Mm-hmm. I agree with that assessment. Okay. This was hard to read. <laughs> I mean, partly because, yes, I do disagree with a lot of what Highline seems to be espousing, and don't worry, I'll get to that in a minute, but also because it was boring. The novel's structure is basically... Rico listening to an authority figure give a sermon about some political philosophical aspect of their world, followed then by an army memory that supports whatever thesis was just given. Mm -hmm. Rinse and repeat. There are a handful of action scenes, but Heinlein, to me, never seemed interested in making sure that the reader can orient themselves within that scene well enough to follow it. This book opens with an action scene, and it was impossible to follow. It was a nightmare. Um, Other segments that make up the novel are extended descriptions. There's an entire chapter devoted to describing the power suits, as well as about half of a very long chapter spent explaining how rank works within their armed forces. The funny thing about those sections is that Heinlein will start out by saying, I'm not going to describe X and then proceed to describe it at length and in great detail. And that happens again and again and again. (laughs) And yeah, I do disagree with a lot of the ideas presented in this book. I disagree with Heinlein's thesis that veterans are the best at running the state because they've proven that they can put the community ahead of themselves. Maybe this works in a better world. And like I said, Heinlein does go to some length to stress that only the quote-unquote best people actually make it through and receive that citizenship. But I think he oversimplifies the issue, and it seems to me that he views service people through rose-colored glasses. No offense to any service people yeah. listening, yeah. but it, that was really what it read like to me, that he had rose-colored glasses on. Um, a specific structure that Heinlein repeatedly uses to convey his ideas is having Rico be in the classroom listening to a teacher give a lecture. And I almost had to laugh at these scenes because of the way that they read. And I feel like this is something that I can be 
something of an authority on because I did teach college courses for five years. They read like when you fantasize about delivering a lecture to students and they like hang on your every word and give you exactly the right responses that you need in order for you to deliver your ideas with the most possible impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every single one read like that. And some of the ideas that... How often does that actually happen, Katie? (laughs) (laughs) Never? Yeah. If it it were real, they would just be bored and like picking their noses the whole time and they wouldn't respond to you at all. Yeah. So some of the ideas that Heinlein puts forth, corporal punishment is good. The death penalty is good. Colonialism is fine because the stronger species eradicates the weaker species. And who wants second rate life forms around anyway? Part of the reason that the humans are so set on defeating the bugs is that the bugs also colonize other planets. So they're taking up valuable real estate as well as being the dreaded communism metaphor. And a lot of these extended sections where he conveys these ideas also have a very palpable kids these days Mm. vibe to them, which, you know, I love. Now, there are moments here and there throughout the novel where it's very clear that there is some anti-civilian sentiment. The thing that bothers me is that it's not explored enough for me to tell if this is Heinlein's attempt to be critical of the world that he's created or not. Overall, it seems like he's not particularly critical of what he's put on paper here. There's basically no exploration of how this setup could go wrong or what ills there may or may not be within this system. And everything else aside, this is what bothers me about the book. Critics have argued about how much of these ideas Heinlein actually bought into. I don't know how much he personally buys into. I don't think he probably would have called it fascist. I don't think he probably considered himself fascist, probably more libertarian. Most fascists don't. That's fair. (laughs) But probably more libertarian, if anything. But to me, if you aren't also acknowledging the cons of the world that you've created, then you aren't exploring an idea. You're pushing propaganda. Yeah. And for that reason, I'm going to give this one to the movie. All right. There you go. Starship Troopers, the movie is better. I would agree. Having not read the book, I very much liked the movie. thought it was very good. Before we reveal what our next thing is, you already know what it is, but still. Uh, If you could do us a giant favor, head over to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you're listening to this, and give us a five-star rating and review. If you didn't hear lately, if you were wanting to listen on Stitcher uh, but stopped because we stopped being available there, all of our episodes are available again on Stitcher. We got that issue resolved, and so uh, all of our past episodes and all future current episodes will be up on Stitcher. Uh, And if you would prefer to listen to us there, you can. And uh, do us a favor, drop us a review on that. You can also support us on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash this film is lit. Support us for two, five, fifteen dollars a month, whatever you want, uh, and get access to different things at all the different levels. Uh, you can find out what those things are in uh, at patreon.com. The other thing you could do is go and follow us on all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, all of those places. Follow us, comment, uh, in particular on this one. I'm sure people have opinions. You can do us a giant favor. We'll have a poll out on Facebook and on Twitter. 
uh, on our on our pages, and you can vote on whether you prefer the movie or the book. If you haven't read, that's fine. If you just have, this is also where you can voice your opinion on those things. Yeah, is, regardless is the, of if you've read, watched. Yeah. If you've only watched a movie and you don't want to vote, that's fine. You can comment on that on that post and just say, oh, I liked this about the movie. I didn't like this uh, or what we said about the movie or the book. If you have, you know, your own input, because we will uh, read those comments and discuss them on our next prequel episode. So do that for us. And our next prequel episode will be for the Twilight Saga Eclipse. Yes. Uh, Back into the Twilight Saga with the installment number three installment number three eclipse which i remember as being my favorite back in the day so we'll see how i feel about uh, it now i'm about 50 pages in and i'll tell you this i i think i the other night when i was reading it i i exclaimed out loud and turned to you and i go katie there's actual plot on page 26 what is this uh things are happening already so um being an asshole but yeah it, it uh so far it's there's some stuff happening which is which is interesting and uh but there's also some really funny things that i can't wait to talk in the first uh 30 pages there was like two or three really hilarious things to me that i can't wait to talk about so we'll have a prequel for that episode next week and then in two weeks time we're discussing twilight saga eclipse so come back for that and until that time guys gals non-binary everybody else keep reading books keep watching movies And keep keep being awesome. awesome.